Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Joe Schunkweiler. I lead adoption and training here at Allidaid, and I'm very pleased to have Dr. Randy Walker and Angie Walker, both of the Randy Walker Family Clinic in DeQueen, Arkansas, with us today to talk about their practice and what they're seeing on the ground with the recent COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, Angie and Dr. Walker, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. So first off, can you give our listeners just a little bit of background on your practice and, you know, what it looks like, what the makeup is, what kind of patients you're seeing? Um, certainly. So we are an independent solo practice. Um, we have one MD and two nurse practitioners. We are open Monday through Saturday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Sundays, we are open from 1 to 5. Uh, we're about to add our third nurse practitioner, and then at that point, we will go seven days a week, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., Monday through Sunday. Um, we have a little over 6,000 active patients, and by active patients, I mean um, those are patients that we have seen in the last two years. So um, pretty busy days. Uh, we try to, the nurse practitioners work the 12-hour shifts. They work 312s. Um, Dr. Walker is here Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. We try to make sure that most of those um, high-risk patients are on his schedule, so they're not really um, bogging down a nurse practitioner's schedule. He's actually manning, managing those patients. Um, as far as, you know, patient demographics, we've got about 600 diabetics, uh, about 110 COPD patients. Um, we're normally managing about 40 home health patients, probably about 40 nursing home patients as well. Um, as far as employees go, um, for each provider, they're going to have um, a four-person team that's normally made up of an LPN, two LPNs, two MAs, or sometimes it will swap up with a, an RN and three MAs. Um, we have two we have three care managers. We have one um, that is an episodic care manager. Um, we have two longitudinal care managers. They actually work off-site in our other location, and between them, um, I think the longitudinal, they usually manage about 150 patients each. Um, episodic, she's usually managing about 50. So, I mean, it sounds like you have quite a quite an operation there. I'm really impressed by the the coverage and the, the breadth of what you're offering. Um, talk to me about the evolution of that. Has that, what, what, what drove the decision to expand hours and add to the staff and, and, and all the exciting services that you just laid out, Angie? So I think what, what really kicked us into it was um, we were an initial CPCI clinic um, and so we were already looking at making some expansions. Um, we had already added a nurse practitioner to take some of that load off of Dr. Walker. At that point, we were strictly Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, um, no nursing home. We had a little bit of home health, a little bit of hospital rounds, but not much. Um, and so what we really were doing initially was just reducing some of Dr. Walker's workload. Um, now, I'll be honest with you, that did not work. And so far, it has not worked, although I'm still actively attempting to do that. Um, but with CPCI, we were um, in some other, uh, we were thrown in with a bunch of other clinics. 
And quickly, there were several of us that pulled up and said, hey, we're going to make some drastic changes here and just see what's going on. Um, so the first thing we did was um, with the first nurse practitioner, we said, okay, we're going to slowly roll you out to um, coming in early. You're now going to be from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. And what we found was that 7 to eight, seven to 9 o'clock was double and triple booked because we had all of the um, teachers coming in early trying to get stuff done. We had the students coming in trying to not miss school. And so it was just very, um, very crazy, very hectic. And so at that point, we turned around and said, you know what, let's go ahead and add another nurse practitioner. Um, and, and we made a decision at that point that we were going to do some alternative um, scheduling. We were more looking at it in the beginning for staff. We wanted to um, give people quality home life, quality time off, because I'm sure, you know, that's a, a, a big worry in any practice is that you burn somebody out. And so at that point, we rolled out um, the first nurse practitioner being a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7 to 7, um, the second nurse practitioner being a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 7 to 7. And so um, it took off. We also added in home visits at that point because we wanted to look at um, those patients that could, could not make it into the clinic or their coming into the clinic was almost as hard on us as it was them. And so initially those home visits were on Saturdays. And so, again, took off. Um, I wasn't able to reduce Dr. Walker's load. So within about eight months of that, we were adding our next nurse practitioner. Um, and so what she was going to come in and do was um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I could at least kind of get him out of the mix a little bit on two days. Um, and so... That was going awesome, and then um, we made a decision to no longer write nar narcotics in the clinic. Um, it was a huge decision for the practice. We immediately began tapering patients, um, educating staff, um, educating providers, and I think in the mix of that, um, some of the stress got to folks. I mean, it was certainly stressful on us as well, um, and so we lost a provider, and so we replaced that one. Um, and then a few more months into it, we lost another provider, so we replaced that one. And so I think at this point, we're still Dr. Walker and two nurse practitioners. We have another one that's joining us April the 20th. Um, we have two more that are um, employed here. They haven't gotten their boards done, um, but we're looking at turning it into a rotating schedule so that one group is not always on the weekend. Um, and then... At that point, we're pretty much going to do alternative scheduling for all staff so that everyone's getting that additional time off to, you know, sometimes two days is just not enough. And so uh, this way, everybody is taking time and, and spending some time with family. And then one of the things that we just um, incorporated and will actually open August 1 of this year um, is we are going to open um, the first private-based, uh, school-based clinic um, for uh, our local district. And so we are like super pumped about that. That's fantastic. I mean, it's uh, just hearing you go through all the avenues that you're providing for your patients and the attention that you have to the members of your team. I'm, uh, as a former uh, surgical resident, I'm particularly impressed um, that you've taken the time to worry and uh, and be a good steward of folks' schedules and, and their time. Uh, I'm sure they, they definitely appreciate that. Um, now, I do know that you had some recent changes locally in the healthcare delivery. You had a hospital close last year. Is that right? 
Yes. And how did that closure uh, lead to some of these expanded hours? How did that impact your, your flow at the practice? Well, I think I could just say in summary that our practice uh, has evolved as we became aware of the needs of the community and our staff. And we just try to be whatever our community needs. The hospital we had was uh, a rural critical access hospital with really just the inpatient medical ward and the ER. There was no inpatient surgical um, services and no outpatient services really. Well, and so can I say something? So um, I think when we opened up our doors in 2003, our primary goal was to be self-sufficient. So when we opened up, we opened up with digital x-ray. Within a year, we added ultrasound. Um, We we expanded into casting, uh, bone density, anything that we could do to keep that patient into the office, we knew was much easier for us to navigate um, we weren't looking outside of the office because some, sometimes that comes with a lot of bureaucracy, which is absolutely not profitable. And so we just felt like the, the more services that we could offer in-house, the better off we were um, just for continuity um, and kind of looking, in that, looking at that patient in totality. And doing everything we could do to limit the financial burdens on the community and our patients. But once the hospital closed, you know, we started seeing much more acute patients. We had cardiac emergencies and DBTs and possible pulmonary embolisms. And since that closure, we've just kind of tried to evolve our practice to meet those needs. Yeah, I think one of the things that we we initially saw was that um, we, we look at our ER visits and study them and try to figure out, you know, why did we have that? What happened? How could we have prevented that? And one of the things that we identified was, in the office, we really had no way of identifying whether or not you truly had a blood clot and whether or not you were having a heart attack. And so we made a decision um, probably the month after the closure to go ahead and upgrade our lab from CLIA Wave to moderate complexity. Um, But the only additional lab we actually pulled in was um, cardiac triage. So with cardiac triage, we're able to determine whether or not um, patients having a heart attack. And within that system, we were also able to pull in um, D-dimer and BNP. BNP. And so that really, the BNP actually helped us with our COPD patients, congestive heart heart failure patients. And so it was just a natural fit, we kind of felt like for us. We were able to, um, I would say we probably been able to avoid maybe 40 to 50 ER visits um, because we were able to tell patient was not having a heart attack, was having something but not a heart attack, and then that enabled us to quickly get them into a cardiologist appointment. Yeah, it just gave us a really good ability to triage acute patients. Really expanded our ability to triage acute patients. Given the current situation with the viral outbreak, COVID-19, or the novel coronavirus, how has that impacted uh, the, this triage process and you seeing a higher level of acuity, it sounds like, um, since the local medical center closed? Well, luckily, we've been able to create a uh, sort of uh, curtain off a triage area in our clinic to keep those patients that we suspect might have coronavirus separate from the other population. Um, 
I think we've been training. Our big thing this last, um, we kind of pulled our protocols one day last week. And so the main thing we've been working on is coordinating staff, coordinating community, um, helping, making yourself available to your local superintendents of schools. Um, we made ourselves available to our local employers. And then also um, we're kind of working in tangent with our um, Arkansas Department of Health, um, DHS, you know, any of those entities in which we're going to be making very quick changes. Um, should we have a positive, we're talking to one another. Sometimes we're talking to one another on the hour. Um, but I think as far as our initial, what we pulled in protocols in the clinic was, you know, front desk is triaged on, you know, how to identify those patients. We've got signage on the door. Once they suspect, it comes back to the nurse. Nurse digs a little bit deeper. Um, once she identifies that now, that patient is now entering in a different location um, and everything changes. We've got one COVID, what we're calling a COVID nurse per team. Um, she's the only one that's allowed in that area with a provider. And then that way we're kind of segregating those staff members as well. Um, I mean, of course, we implemented very strict um, sanitizing, cleaning, and hand-washing protocols, um, you know, making sure all staff knew where their PPE was located and at what point we would, we would be looking at that. Um, I think as far as our care management group, um, we quickly ran a list of COPD patients, um, respiratory compromised patients, cancer patients, those with pre- and post-surgical issues, um, identified them, called them on the phone, explained what protocols would be. Um, we looked at their prescriptions to make sure that they had plenty on hand. Um, we've identified patients that will be moved to a home visit status. And then, of course, since yesterday, the release of all the televisit stuff, I'm updating protocols for televisits, and so we're pushing as much as we can to televisit. Are you currently doing uh, telehealth visits? Yes. Yes. And it, it strikes me that the you're uh, reaping the benefits in terms of uh, an operational uh, infrastructure that you laid down much earlier, right? So you, um, you clearly have taken uh, great care in how all these pieces fit together for your clinic uh, and your patients and your community. And that was before we had this public health emergency. I think, I think I'm just a work process nerd, <laughs> a protocol nerd. Um, I think, you know, our big, my thing is we need to take care of our patients, but as the office manager, I have to remain profitable so that I'm taking care of staff. And so the more things that we can make um, systematic so that we understand how to manage them and then we identify the things that we can't or that we had a hiccup with and then quickly pull that into protocol or identify how we're going to deal with that, I think... Um, the better off we are. I just, I don't like things that are not checked off or not able to be managed. And so I think that's, like I said, I'm just, I think I'm a protocol nerd. So, <laughs> well, I think <laughs> and I think he lets me run loose with that. Yeah. So, Well, we're both cautious and we're adverse to risk. So we like to be prepared. Amen. For any of you are you are preaching to the choir here on this podcast. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, um, where did you? I'm curious where you went for. Um, what were your resources as you were building those protocols and the, the the processes? Were you just purely, um, you know, out of your own creativity, or did you have go to resources to to figure out what what has worked and what hasn't for other folks? 
I, I think a lot of it was just trial and error. Well, and yeah, and I think kind of too. Born out of the yeah. needs of our community. Well, and I think we're very ingrained in the community. Um, I sat on numerous boards, um, head of the hometown coalition, and so we had already been looking at things as far as hometown coalition and pastoral alliance. Um, we had already been working on these things last year. We were more looking at them in in idea of a flood. Um, or, you know, no electricity or something along those lines. Um, but, you know, just this week we were able to jump in and assist with, okay, we have no school. Our school will have the ability to start feeding kids on a grab-and-go basis come March 30th. And we just quickly sat down and said, okay, let's identify our larger churches. We're going to sit down together. We're going to figure out how we're going to manage this, and we're going to roll forward with it. And then as far as my group, um, you know, we quickly identified, hey, we're going to look at our internal protocols and then we'll meet this Friday at 12 and we're going to run through those together and then figure out how we're going to help each other and how we're going to support one another. And so I think I think that's a biggie, you know, if you're going to if you're going to be in a community, you really need to be into that community um, because when things go south, you need to you need to have a finger in that. You need to know um, where you're needed, what you need to do and what are the gaps that you need to fill. And so I think we've kind of always been very um, quick to help, quick to say, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to manage this? How can we do this together? So, But in answering your question, um, you know, there's several awesome resources. You can Google tabletops, emergency tabletops. Um, you get a ton of resources. Um, you can go to the CDC website. They've got emergency preparedness stuff. Um, we work closely with our IT department because, you know, we know we've got to um, be up and running. We've got to, you know, we have to have a generator. We have to have a backup. We have to be able to access our stuff outside of this office. And so um, those are meetings that we've had in the last week. And so, you know, I think you 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 just have to set back and, and think about everything that you need on a daily basis to manage a clinic and and go from there. As you know, data is really important to the work that we do at Allidaid with regards to you know, succeeding in value-based care. Um, and you referenced looking at your own data um, to improve your triage process um, for acute cases. What other data streams are you looking at? And as a follow-up, what data are you not getting now that you wish you were getting uh, to improve the care of your patients? So I think... Um, the data that I'm looking at on a daily basis is, of course, operations for the clinic, what's total number of patients that are coming in, um, what are we identifying, you know, we're keeping a close contact on Department of Health and CDC to see what's coming within the community. Um, we're, we've also reached out and we're talking to our closest hospitals so we can identify protocols with them and keeping them uh, in the loop of what's going on. Um, I think one of the biggies that, and this, you know, this doesn't have a lot to do with COVID, but one of the biggies that we've identified in the last month is that um, because we've become so open access, 60% of our patients are walking through the door the same day. Now, in the mornings, we're setting down, we're going through our Alliday dash top, we're doing our morning huddle, we're talking about what needs to be done for those patients that were on the schedule. But for those patients that simply walked in, it's not an easy access within that app to get those diagnoses. You know, it's not as easy as, you know, that's refreshing every five minutes and those patients are popping up and we have them to be able to look at. We're having to kind of dig a little deeper and figure out what's going on with them. And so um, with that kind of data, 
you know, I, I, I would love for it to be real time. And of course, you know, that that's my ultimate birthday wish, I guess. Um, and I think eventually we'll get there. Um, but as far as internal processes strictly to do with COVID, I mean, you know, we're running our list of CHF patients. We're running our list of COPD patients. We're running our list of diabetics. And then we're having um, those team leads or care managers sit down, look at those lists and identify those folks that this could be a problem for them. Um, and then we're just kind of talking to them a little bit about, hey, are you prepared? Have you thought about what needs to happen here? You know, do we need to move to you to a home visit status? Do we need to do a televisit? And then, you know, the other thing I think you have to think about is there are going to be those patients that are having an exacerbation and you've got to see in the clinic. And so one of the things that we also did was Dr. Walker's for the time being, agreed to open up Sunday mornings and be here from 8 to 12. You know, we're not seeing sick patients that are, you know, cough and a cold and what have you. It's those patients that we can't manage online. We can't manage in their home. We've got to be able to see them, but we don't want them into the normal day-to-day -day function. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as we've, we've been thinking more about what the protocols should be uh, in place for things like telehealth. Um, I, I'm struck by how thoughtful you've been in, you know, what is that tipping point that gets somebody to your clinic, into the clinic, even though they may have done their initial visit via telehealth uh, and how that process is going to work. Uh, I'd love to hear more about your home visit program and how that came about and what that has, uh, how has that looked so far and what percentage of your uh, practice visits do you think that'll uh, encapsulate moving forward? Well, it's our nurse practitioner makes home visits on Thursdays. Yeah, well, and actually, I just changed that. We moved her to Wednesday because Wednesday was a little slower. And so um, our initial protocol was we have a um, two to three hour window that she manages a group of patients that are, you know, they're truly homebound. They're truly, um, them coming into the clinic it, it is a major ordeal for them and for us. And so on that current list, she had about um, 25 to 30 patients that she managed at any given time um, and, and also her team lead for her team. Now, as we're moving into um, COVID, what we're looking at is we've got about 40 home health patients that, um, of course, they're going to have to get moved into that home visit thing. You know, with, with um, home health, you know, you don't have to see them as regular unless they're having a major issue. And so what we do is we try to see those patients at least once every two months for certification processes and things like that. And so she's looking at her home visit population going from about 25 to about 65. And so with that, we went ahead and identified areas in the schedule for the next three weeks that, you know, we're going to take her Wednesday and now her entire Wednesday is simply a home visit day. Um, we've got another nurse practitioner that we've tagged a couple of hours in her schedule that we're holding for same day for those patients that may have something going on immediate right then and there, and we need to be able to get in there that day. And so we've highlighted those areas for staff. And then same thing for him as far as televisits, um, the televisit portion of it, we went ahead and identified an hour at the end of each day that he's going to manage those televisits. And we'll just continually watch that every day, every week. And if that's not enough, we'll back that into two hours. Um, you know, the, the clinic, you know, outside of normal areas, 
we we've just kind of you know I'm working hand tangent with our care managers, and if they've got somebody that's popping into them, um, then then we're going to look at scheduling those. Those will be by a, a per schedule basis, and so. You know, I think the care management group, the, the longitudinal and episodic, they've really shined in this process and that they know their patients. They know who they are and they quickly made contact with them and quickly said, if you're having a problem, you're calling this clinic and asking for me. Um, because sometimes, you know, the bigger you get, you call front desk and you may get transferred around and transferred around until, you know, it, it, it gets exhausting and then also um, you may not wind up with the right person. And so they quickly jumped in there and said, you know, this is who you're asking for when you call this number. You know, here's the backdoor number to get into our office. Here's the on-call number to get into our office. And so um, I think that has been awesome. You know, we all, Randy and I also manage the after hours. You know, he takes all the on, the call numbers after 7 o'clock. It rolls over to us. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of an uptick on that. And so, you know, today we're having a provider meeting. We're going back over protocols and what's going on. And if those numbers continue to trickle up, I'm going to probably pull them into a rotation where they're taking the on-call phone. Because um, I think it's important that, you know, we're taking care of one another. We're not exhausting one another. Um, it's a stressful time we need to be working together and figuring out how we can lift each other up, um, you know, versus making it harder on one another. That mindset of pushing people, pushing staff to work at the top of their licensures is the key to being efficient and having an effective, uh, effective system. Having an effective life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think they're engaged in it. They want to do that. Yeah. I mean, they want to be a part of that. That's why they went to school for those things. Um, as far as what I'm excited about, are you done being excited? Yeah. Okay. So as far as what I'm excited about, um, you know, one of the things that we added in was we do um, an in-office food pantry. And I think that's really helped as far as, you know, covering some gaps that we saw. Um, the major thing that I am, I'm so pumped about, I can't stand myself, is um, our Leopard Care Clinic, our new school-based clinic. I mean, if you, if you think about the children that you see in, in the office, sometimes continuity is a problem, um, and it's not necessarily their fault. And so if you, if you think about how awesome it's going to be that you pick a child up in kindergarten and you actually are there and can be their health care provider all the way through from when they graduate, I think um, if that doesn't make your hair stand on end, I don't know what would. Um, you know, the fact that you are now engaging these kids in, you can come over and get your, your wellness visit done. You know, we're here for you, for you to come in and be engaged in your own health. I think you're you're changing a mindset. You're you're making them understand. You're you're putting health out there first and foremost, and you're showing them that it's an important thing, and you're giving them access to it without having to um, identify a ride. I got to go after my mom gets off of work. I got to figure out when I can get that dealt with. You know, you're kind of putting that in their hands to to help manage, and I think that's awesome. Well, Angie Walker and Dr. Randy Walker of the Randy Walker Family Clinic in DeQueen, Arkansas. Thanks so much for joining us on the ACO Show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was awesome.